God creates the beautiful butterflies, stunning sunsets, and demons. Welcome to the book of Colossians. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. The greatest church. In the world? <laughs> <laughs> the greatest church in the building. <laughs> fair. Fair enough. Like, subscribe, comments. Forget about that comment, oh, and we're going to move on with the book of Colossians it's here. True, it's true. We have more bacon than the Seventh-day Adventist church. Or, yes, yeah, we definitely yeah, do. That's, <laughs> we definitely do have more bacon than those uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Well, it's good to see you, man. Good yeah. to see you. Yes, you too. Um, we're going we're gonna to get into some good stuff today with uh, the book of Colossians. Colossians. Yeah, you, you really, I mean, I want to know the answer to this now. Did, did Jesus create demons? That's uh, he, like a great question. That is a great question. Question. Um, Butterflies, I, of course. I think. I think he did create uh, uh, demons. Yeah. Sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think Paul will give us a very clear answer here if you don't know the answer already. Yeah. Um, but we are. We're in the prison epistles. So mm-hmm. this is when Paul is in prison. There's debate as to which prison he's in because he gets <laughs> first, j- jailed second, a third, lot. Yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, Caesarea or or Rome, but. Um, but yeah, these are the these are the he's, he's writing from prison and he's given some some great content. The prison epistles are some of my favorite um, New Testament books, so it's really good stuff. Some people question that this is really Paul's letter because it has so many similarities with Ephesians. So mm-hmm. there's certain phrases that are seem to be kind of imported from one to the other. It's really close, and so some people and and because it's too different in terms of its language language and theology mm-hmm. so there's differences with language and theology that people think the theology I, I don't think so but they, they think so and there's similarities with the language with uh, the phrasing mm-hmm. so basically this letter is too similar and too different to be written by Paul Interesting. so if you can follow that logic no. then maybe you'll believe it was written by Paul <laughs> but it's just funny to me how many times the critics of the New Testament will will make the same argument in reverse right. for the very same book. Right. Well, I mean, obviously he copied it because it's so similar. Well, obviously he's not, it's, he didn't, you know, it's too <laughs> different. Um, but anyway, so sometimes, you know, you have, you have some little phrases that you reuse in your teaching. Right. We all do yeah. that. You kind of have your stock phrases or things that you kind of have crafted over time. And so, you know, in a different context with different issues, you might have different theological emphases. Mm-hmm. These are all things that, you know, any teacher knows is the reality. Right. So maybe the guys that are, only you know writing critical scholarship don't know these things but i think all of us know that <laughs> so anyway let's, let's get into this this uh some of the intro stuff here a little bit awesome well who was it uh written to it was written to the church in Colossae. Mm-hmm. so we see that in, in verse two of chapter one mm-hmm. Colossae was a city in turkey i mean this is the only mention of it in the new testament huh. so we don't know too much about it but it seems to be a church that epaphras started when you look at uh, verse seven of chapter one that seems to be the implication there is Epaphras, who's a minister with Paul. Mm-hmm. He's starting it. So Paul's writing to them, giving them instruction. That's definitely very applicable for us. Mm-hmm. Tons of application. It's not overly specific to that church, although there seems to be some sort of heresy going on in Colossae that they're in danger of. Yeah. So that we'll, we'll look at that in a second. Awesome. When was it written? Well, it was written while Paul was in prison. So like we said, for Ephesians and Philippians, probably... You know, 50s or 60s. I mean, yeah, early. it's kind of the late 50s, early 60s. It's hard to know exact times, but that seems pretty a pretty 
you know, clear timeline yeah. based on his missionary journeys. Fair. Yeah. So what's, uh, well, why was this book written in the first place? Why was this letter written? Well, there's some, there's some heresy in the Colossian church. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what it was because he never clearly identifies it, but there's hints at it, mm-hmm. right? Some people say Gnosticism, that used to kind of be the thing was Gnosticism was a big, you know, thing. But now we know that Gnosticism as it is properly defined didn't exist until second century later and no. later. No. So based on this timeline, it, it that wouldn't make sense. Maybe it's a proto Gnosticism, but there's, I think there's a combination of different things happening mm-hmm. that it's not one cohesive, you know, heresy that's coming in. It's actually a combination of different things. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a blend. So you see, some, sometimes he'll focus on Jewish things. He talks about circumcision and Jewish practices, like in chapter two, verse eleven, or three, verse eleven. And then we also see focus on wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. in chapter two, verse three. That seems to be more Greek language, right? So I think it's probably a combination of different things that are coming in. And isn't this how it always is? There's, you know, people that will see this need to follow on rules and rituals and then those who are more you know living after the flesh often in the world we kind of have both those coming at us all the yeah. time in different ways or their cultural religious perspectives or whatever you know the early churches bring in from greek you know religion and stuff like that yeah 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 so i i know for for our church it's like to say well what is the heresy that our church is facing it's it's a blend of all sorts of things this is how life is right, right. It's not that, that there's false teachers coming in specifically teaching, yeah. I don't know, amillennialism right. or postmillennialism take. Just a you know random example. Bottom yeah. line is there's a bunch of things that are pulling people away from uh, the uh, importance of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just making fun of Caleb because he's, he's here. Um, we don't think that amillennialism and <laughs> postmillennialism is, is heresy. <laughs> it's just, you know. Could be. It could, could be. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> we'll have to ask Jesus someday. Um, so the theme of this book seems to be really the supremacy of Christ. So he's lifting up Christ mm-hmm. as central, as um, supreme over everything. And so we'll kind of get into that in the first chapter specifically. Cool. So a br- rough outline, chapter one is the supremacy of Christ. End of chapter one, beginning of chapter two is the ministry of Paul. So he'll focus more on his ministry. And then we see in chapter two, the danger of false doctrine. And then the second half, chapters three and four is the resurrection life. So how do we apply this doctrine. Just like in so many of Paul's letters, the first half is more doctrinal, mm-hmm. the second half is more practical. Of course, there's always a mixture of those, mm-hmm. right? You can't separate them 100%, but that seems to be the general pattern, and we see it here too, as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's jump into the text. Let's do it. Chapter 1. So the first section is the supremacy of Christ. So the mm-hmm. heart of this chapter is really verses 15 to 20. Yeah. That's clearly the heart of this. It's some sort of a poem or hymn, it's really lofty language. And this is just an incredible summary of who Christ is. Mm -hmm. So spend time meditating on this passage, like really soak it in. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So just even that the first couple words there, he's the image of the invisible God. So that image word goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that, that humanity is created in the image of God and in his likeness. And the fall breaks that image to some degree, but it's not erased. Right. Because we see in chapter five of Genesis that the image of Adam is given to his son. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Seth receives that image from Adam. And then even in Genesis chapter nine, after the flood, there's mention of, if you kill man, then you will be killed by man, right? Mm-hmm. Capital punishment. 
And the reasoning for that is that God created man in his image. Yeah. So if it was just a past thing, then it wouldn't make a difference for capital punishment, right? It'd right. be a moot point. Yeah. But he, but what is the implication there is you're still in the image of God. Mm-hmm. But now what we see, we saw this in, in Corinthians as well, but Jesus comes as the image of God. Mm-hmm. Not in the same way that you and I are, but as the perfect image of God, the full image of God, the one who's who's going to do what Adam and Eve didn't do, right? right? And fulfill that calling of being his image. Yeah. So he's, he's the image of God. He's the firstborn of all creation. This doesn't speak to his order and creation that he's like the first created being. That would be a heresy, right? It's speaking to his preeminence over everything, right. his superiority over everything. And of course, we, we, you know, we've been going through Genesis at church, and you see the importance of the firstborn, this mm-hmm. idea of the firstborn throughout Genesis yeah. um, and the, the birthright and all these things. <clears throat> but verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So he's the creator. Mm-hmm. Similar idea that we see and saw in John chapter 1. Yeah. Right? All things were created by him. And he's speaking to the totality, heaven and earth. There's Heaven and earth encapsulates everything, mm-hmm. right? It, visible and invisible. Everything is either visible or invisible. Mm-hmm. Nothing falls outside of those categories. So this is speaking to the totality. And then thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. If you remember, this is language that we saw in Ephesians. When we were looking at, uh, we saw this in, in chapter 6 with the, the spiritual warfare, right? Oh, yeah. And how th- those, those phrases used in Ephesians refer to spiritual forces very mm. clearly specifically evil spiritual forces yeah. angels and more specifically demons right and so evil angels fallen angels yeah and here he's saying that Christ not only created the demons but they were created through him and for him mm-hmm. it's an, an amazing statement about the supremacy of Christ Yes, he created the demons. He did not create them evil, right? Mm-hmm. So we know this from other places in Scripture, obviously. He created them as good angels, but they rebelled against him. But even them in their rebellion state, in the, the, the reality of who they are now, they still exist for his ultimate glory. Right. That he's using everything, and he's working everything, including the evil of the most vile beings in the world, to accomplish his purposes. Yeah. So again, to be clear, we're not saying that God's the author of evil, that he causes evil, but that he is fully in control mm-hmm. and is ordaining all things is to his ends. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's a huge comfort, yeah. right? That there's nothing that happens that isn't working towards God's ultimate purpose. Right. So if you're afraid of those spiritual forces out there that you don't understand, know that God is fully in control. Yeah. He, he's not worried about that. So we see, we see a lot more about him in this passage, but look at verse 19. For in him, <clears throat> all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he is fully God. He is, he in God's presence dwells in him. And this is so significant in terms of biblical theology, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at when God's presence dwells somewhere and the problems that are created, where we saw it in the tabernacle, the temple, this desire to meet with God, to be in communion with him, and the, the problem that we, we can't be because mm-hmm. of our sinfulness. Yeah. But then we see in verse 20, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on heaven or on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So God's presence dwells in Christ, 
but also he's reconciling to himself all things. So there's a, a peace being made between God and man. Mm-hmm. So it's not him coming to judge or destroy. It's not him coming and saying, well, I'm holy and you can never approach me. We've already seen that. It's the fullness of God dwelling in order to make a way for true relationship between right. God and man. Yeah. So just, it's an, I mean, there's so much here that you, we could talk about in terms of this first chapter of Colossians, but just an amazing statement about Christ's supremacy and preeminence over everything. Right. So I know, I know you've taught through this, this uh, book as well, and you know just how much detail there is here, how much stuff we can get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he speaks to their, their reality after that, right? Um, verse 21. It's kind of, again, it kind of reminds us of Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, and you, you know, yeah. and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deed, he has now reconciled and he is in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Hmm. So this is that substitutionary atonement. He's reconciled us and he's presenting us as holy, even though uh, we're not holy in and of ourselves. Amen. It's it's his holiness. So um, let's get to, let's get to the ministry of Paul though. The next section, because we've got quite a bit to cover here. The ministry of Paul. So that starts in chapter one, verse 24. And uh, I'm flying blind here, Caleb, just so you know. I can't see how far in we are. Um, chapter 1, verse 24. So we won't go into this in detail because we focus, we'll focus on this in Thessalonians a little bit more, mm-hmm. the ministry of Paul and some of the, the beauty here. But what we can clearly see in this section on his ministry is that it's all about Christ. And I love this, right? Chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim. In context, that's Christ. We proclaim Christ warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mm. So that's his point, is he's proclaiming Christ. Right. We saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. We see, I mean, we see it everywhere, obviously. Mm. But this, just the explicit, like it's going to be about Christ and him alone. He is the center of everything. We see it again in chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 2 and 3. He says... Um, he says, uh, you know, I'm, I want your hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, hmm. in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. So if you want to know this wisdom and knowledge that they were seeking after, this gr- the Greek philosophy and the Jewish law and all these things that, that had some promise, it's all about Christ. Mm-hmm. He's the one that is the secret to all of it. Right. And it's just, I mean, we have to sit back and just say, this is such an important reminder. And we can't just say, yeah, I, I know that. I know that. Jesus is good, right? Jesus is the greatest. No, I mean, it really is all about proclaiming him. Right. And everything from your job to your childbearing to, you know, you know, well, childbearing too, yeah, I guess. But like raising your kids, you know? Yeah. So well, you're not teaching your kid to be you know, obedient just for obedience sake, but you're teaching him to be obedient so that he would give God glory. Yeah. No. When you counsel someone, you give advice to someone, it's so easy to fall into just the worldly wisdom, practical advice. None of that is bad by itself. Well, some of it is, but just, you know, common sense and good, good practical advice is fine, but do you ultimately point to loving Christ more and knowing Christ more yeah. and glorifying him in all you do? Yeah. Yeah, what a reminder that every part of our lives in ministry need to be a part need to have Jesus as the center of it, the gospel of Jesus yeah. Christ. And that's yeah. why we're so <clears throat> religious 
you could almost almost say legalistic about <laughs> including the gospel mm-hmm. in every sermon. Yeah, you know, trying to give a clear pointer to the hope found in Jesus, not just this is what you should do, make yourself better, mm-hmm. but this is how you can do that in Christ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and, and Colossians gives us some great examples of that, especially in chapter three, which we'll get to. So you can get a lot of things right in ministry, but if you get this wrong, if you don't keep Christ at the center, then none of the right things matter. Yeah, yeah. So Paul's, Paul's so clear about that. Let's look at the, the next section, the danger of false doctrines. So this starts in chapter 2, verse 6. So there's, there's pressures here to turn away from Christ. So maybe it's mystical polytheism or it's Jewish law observance, whatever it is. There's, there's these pressures here, and we can't get into it in too much detail, but verse 8 is really key. Verse 8 is key. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and mm. not according to Christ. Mm. So again, that last phrase, and not according to Christ, is so fundamental. Mm-hmm. Whatever he means before that, if it's not according to Christ, that is so key. But I think we, we should ask, what is he talking about here? Philosophy and empty deceit, human tradition, especially this, this phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. This, is, uh, this phrase here is one of the most debated New Testament interpretive issues. Hmm. It's, it's amazing how much debate there is over this. It's, that phrase is, or really it's just a word, is most often used um, of the fundamental elements of the world. So air, earth, fire, water, mm-hmm. right? The actual elements and then it came to be used of the ABCs of something, so the fundamentals uh, of a certain belief system. Hmm. But it could also be used of spirits or demons that rule over the world. And th- I've heard someone, some people suggest there's actually a connection between these ideas. Hmm. So if it refers to the elements, refers to demons, what they would believe was the elements are controlled by certain gods, right? Certain, certain spirits. Certain forces are in control of those elements. They saw the world in a very mystical way. So it probably could mean some combination of these things. But most commentators today take it to mean spiritual beings. And, and actually Galatians 4, 8, 9 is a good mm. comparison here. So he's talking about, you know, don't be enslaved in Galatians 4, 8 to those that by nature are not gods. Mm. So these gods that are false gods. And then he uses that phrase again in verse 9. He says, but now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? Hmm. So he's talking about false gods, and then he uses that same term. So it seems to be that it's speaking of some sort of false worship or spiritual powers beyond this world. Mm-hmm. Whatever, we, whatever it is, though, we see it's a, it's a human and non-Christ-centered philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so he's warning them about that. And he brings us back in verse 9 to the supremacy of Christ. This is the answer to these false beliefs. Hmm. Verse 9, for in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Hmm. So this is the answer for you. So there's no spiritual um, truth we need to seek. There's no powers we need to look to beyond Christ himself. Yeah. He, he, he is sufficient for us. <laughs> so that's so important. He's not just supreme. That's over everything, but he is sufficient for what we need. Mm. So don't look to these other things. And I mean, we can we could talk about this for a while in our own context of the you know the new age um, spiritualism, all this stuff that you know 
it comes up in our context even mm-hmm. that we need to deal with, right? That that yeah. Christians can get sucked into some some form of paganism that gets mixed, syncretized with Christianity. Oh, all the time, yeah. Yeah, it's very common. Um, Theophany would be one of them, maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Theonomy, I think you're trying to say. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> but yes, verse 13. <laughs> and you who were dead in, the, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So again, the, you were dead and God gave you a new status mm-hmm. by putting away your sin, the debt that you owed spiritually and nailing it to the cross. So this is that the new reality we have. And it means that Christ is triumphing <clears throat> over these spiritual powers. Verse 15, right? Mm-hmm. He disarmed the ruler and authorities. Again, that phrase, technical phrase for these spiritual powers. He disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. So the, the victory of God is shown in that act, that there's nothing that can stand against us to accuse us. We don't need anything more except we have from Christ. Mm. Chapter 3, we should get into this quickly here. We see the new humanity on display in chapter 3. Um, and really, what kind of a way you could phrase what he's saying in the first few verses here is, now that that's your status, be who you are. Mm. Just become, the, the life of a Christian is becoming progressively who God has declared you to be, yeah. a forgiven, righteous, holy person in his eyes, and now you're cleansed. Hmm. And so we see we see uh, you know a lot of that here. So verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, yeah. seated at the right hand of God. So you've been raised, you're in Christ, as we saw in Ephesians. You have this new status. So now seek the things that are above. You're up there, in a sense, right? You are... Again, Ephesians 2, you're seated with him in the heavenly places. Mm-hmm. And now your life should live in alignment with that. Right. So seek things that are eternal. Seek things that matter for heaven and for the, the new world that's coming. Uh, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life, and when he appears, you're going to be glorified like him. So mm-hmm. live your life in light of that, mm-hmm. in light of his second coming. And then we see this putting off and putting on metaphor in chapter 3. It's so good, right? Put off, verse, verse 9, put off the old self with its practices. And then verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you, you have the one who is the image of God came. You're now being renewed into his image. So put off the old self, things that would look like who you used to be, and put on this new identity, mm-hmm. meaning... Make that a reality in your daily life, yeah. in the way that you live, think, act, speak, all of those things. Put off, put on like you would clothing. Take this thing off, put something new on. Mm-hmm. I love. I just love it. It's a very simple metaphor that we can all, I think, understand. Right. And yes, I need to be more in alignment with where my life actually lies, right. which is with Christ. Yeah. We see a little bit of a household code at the end of chapter 3. So again, we remember these truths, they apply independently to us, who we're becoming on the inside, but also corporately to how we act in context of the family of God. Hmm. And uh, I love verses 23 and 24 of chapter 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
And that's spoken in the context of slavery. <laughs> yeah. Your work matters because you're not working for that master. Right. You know, uh, whoever, your, whoever your employer is, whoever signs the front of your paycheck, you're not working for that person. Right. You're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so do your work in a way that serves him. That is, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And we were talking the other day about, you know, God can be a hard boss. But at the end, he's gonna he's gonna be fair, you know. Yeah. He's gonna be more than fair, more than gracious. So um, good, good. And then we we have the conclusion here in chapter four. Uh, there's a lot we could say here as well. But one thing I think is interesting is verse nine. He mentions this guy Onesimus mm-hmm. at yeah. the end here, our faithful and beloved brother. So remember that because that's gonna come up later. In the book of Philemon, so we'll talk a little yes. bit about him. Slaves, Im- yeah. important character. Yeah, n- another slave figure. So, yeah. man, it's just so much good stuff here. Just read this, meditate on it, think on it. Um, did you have any takeaway thoughts from Colossians? I, I feel like I kind of dominated the conversation there. So. No, I mean you did great. It's all like whenever I read through this book, I'm just reminded about that Christ is behind every single thing we do. And you yeah. talked about the supremacy. So whether it's in work, like we saw there, even in the worst kinds of work, or even in the worst kinds of situations you find yourself, like Christ is behind it, even demons. And so when we see God's glory through all the craziness of this world, we can have hope and we can have assurance. So yeah, I love it. And yeah. I just I, again the reminder of. Christ is better than whatever this world gives us. It's and a great reminder, just, right? Yeah. There's so many things. Astrology. I mean, I, I have to keep thinking of more things that Christians are prone to get caught up in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the sexual revolution is a huge one. <laughs> the the promise it it holds of some deeper truth, some deeper identity, yeah. right? And just how people take on those labels of I am gay or I am trans or whatever, right? Mm. These labels that are their identity labels. Yeah. And so to speak against those things in someone's life is to to attack them. Mm-hmm. No, our identity is never something as shallow and of course sinful as those things. It's something much greater which is that we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. We belong to him. We're seated with him in heaven and so we're looking to become more like that. Yeah. So that those truths are just so so fundamental. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week.